0: Let us pray together. Here in this passage today, Heavenly Father, your Son speaks to us matters of eternal importance, words that bring joy and life to some, guilt, condemnation, and judgment to others. Oh, move in us today, in our midst, Heavenly Father to cause these words to be words of life, bring the lost to salvation, break up the hard and packed soil, bring the languishing to fullness of life, all to your glory, all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, has it occurred to you that this parable that we are studying together is about this moment, this very moment right now as we are together hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is being preached right now. The seed is being sown right now and it's landing on soils, different kinds of soils. Some will do nothing with it and it'll be taken away from them quickly like the hard soil. Others will do various things with it, but it will bear no fruit. But in the hearts of others, the seed will go down deep, sink down roots bear abundant fruit. And that's what we're looking at today. Last week, we looked at the first three soils and thought together about what Jesus teaches about how not to hear the Word of God. And there are many ways not to hear the Word of God, as we saw. But today, we look at how to hear the Word of God. And there is only one way to hear God's Word in such a way that it bears fruit. In other words, in such a way that we are saved and that we live lives to the glory of God. So let's listen as if our lives depend on it because they do and let's look together Roman numeral 1 we're going to take a look at this the fourth soil of the four Jesus speaks of in this parable we're going to take a look together we'll start off very basic very simple then it's going to get a little deeper and more choppy and more personal as we go along together so letter a Jesus parable observed and it just takes up one verse the fourth soil does Jesus says, And others fell upon the good earth and began giving fruit, one a hundredfold, the other sixty, and the other thirty. So this is the fourth soil we're looking at together. Now I know we've got some very alert readers here who've been here through the Matthew series, and I I would be very surprised if some people didn't read that and think, Aha! Four soils. That's not three. (laughs) You keep finding threes in Matthew. You keep seeing that Jesus hears and tells us of what Jesus teaches in sets of three. And that's not sets of three. Oh, not so fast. Riddle me this. How many bad soils are there? Oh, there are three bad soils. You say, oh, good point. But that still leaves that one hanging out there. Hang on. In that one good soil, how many responses are there to the word? Hears, understands, gives fruit. How many is that? Well, there's three. And how many levels of production does that good seed give? Some 30, some 60, some 100. Why, that's that's three. So how many sets of three is that? That's three sets of three. So it's it's not everywhere, but... um, It's here yet again. Now, this third, fourth soil that we're looking at, and by the way, remember too, that this first soil is a big deal. It introduces all the parables in Matthew 13. And after this first, there are two sets of three parables, and then there's a final framing uh, parable. So this soil alone, the fourth soil, bears good fruit. That makes it stand out uh, from all the others. So when he says good fruit, this is good earth, well, what is this good fruit that it bears? A good harvest would have been fivefold to 15-fold, which is to say, uh, planting wheat, say it's wheat. It's, it was probably wheat or barley that Jesus had in mind. So let's say wheat. <clears throat> A normal head of grain might have about 30 kernels on it, and some might have several heads on them. So Jesus is saying this bore. 30 to 100 kernels for every seed stone, for every seed sown. Now, that level of harvest, I told you the normal is 5 to 15 fold. This is 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, that's not impossible, but it's astronomical. That is an astonishingly good harvest. And what's the lesson of that? What's the point of this astonishingly good harvest? It's that the seed is excellent seed. And the problem is not the seed. What's the problem? It's the soils, not the seed. But when the soil takes in the good seed, and then it bears a bumper crop, an astronomically good crop of harvest. And note, too, that Jesus says, began giving fruit. This is an imperfect. An incoetive perfect, a grammarian would say, which is to say it's an action that has begun. So the idea is not this is not just a spike, but this is an activity that's ongoing. It starts doing this and keeps doing this. So this is a continuing bearing of fruit from this sowing. So that's just a very simple look at the soil itself. It's good soil because it receives and bears a bumper crop harvest. Letter B, then, Jesus' explanation opened. He explains it in just one verse. But he who is sown upon the good earth, this is he who hears the word and comprehends, who indeed bears fruit and makes one a hundredfold and the other sixty and the other thirty. Now to get what Jesus is saying right here, we've got to remind ourselves what the focus of the parable is. Remember, parables aren't meant to teach everything. And so the focus of this parable is uh, is what? Basically, it's about what happens when the seed hits different kinds of soil. Three bad kinds, one good kind. That's what it's really about. So the parable is not about the motivation and methodology of the sower. Uh, It's not about why the soils are good or bad. It's not what makes a soil become a bad soil, or what can turn a bad soil into a good soil, or whether a bad soil can be a good soil. It's not about any of those things. It's simply about what happens when this good seed lands. And and remember, in the context of Matthew, it's explaining why the Son of God has come and preached the Word of God, and there's been so little response. Why why, uh, cities have not repented at the preaching of God's Word and why the nation itself is following their leaders who have committed this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Is there something wrong with the message? Is there something wrong with Jesus? No, it's all about the soils. It's all about the soils. The seed is perfectly good. It's the soils that are bad. To, to ask those questions that I asked about how soil becomes good or bad and why it's good or bad, we'd have to look at other scripture and we would find the answers, but that's not the focus of this parable. So this fourth soil person has a threefold response there's three verbs that that uh, describe the three aspects of his response to the word and the first is he hears it he who is sown upon the good earth this is he who hears the word now that's essential but you say well the other three soils also heard the word Oh, that's right, and that's important to notice. It teaches us that hearing the Word isn't everything, but it is absolutely essential. Uh, It's essential that he hear the Word of God or there will be no seed on that soil. But just hearing is not not all that's involved in salvation and conversion. So he hears it. Also, secondly, unlike the others, he comprehends it, Jesus says. Hears the word and comprehends, which they did not. Look at verse 19 about the first soil, the packed soil. Everyone hearing the word of the kingdom and yet not comprehending. The wicked one comes and seizes what has been sown in his heart. Now we need to understand what Jesus means when he says not comprehending. He's not just saying, well, that they didn't know what those words meant. He's not saying that if they were grammar teachers, they couldn't have put it up on a blackboard if they had blackboards and diagrammed his sentences grammatically. People can do that. My library has many books by unsaved scholars who are very good at the language and grammar of the Bible and the history and the The uh, culture of the Bible, but they're not saved. So what does it mean to comprehend the Word of God, as Jesus means? Well, it means to, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, you remember, we thank God constantly. What does he say? That when you receive the Word of God, you what? Did not receive it as the Word of man, but you received it as it truly is, as the Word of God which lives and does its work in those who believe. They received it as the Word of God. So for the person to comprehend it is for the person to, to see the power of these words, to see the worth of these words, to see the worth of the speaker, and, and the vital importance of heeding these words as God's words, not just as inspiring thoughts, not as clever thoughts, not even as wise thoughts, but as truths of God, and responding to them as God's words. That, that's what it means to comprehend them, to see and, as it were, feel, feel the impact of their value. So he doesn't just hear it. And by the way, the more you remember of our series on faith and the different aspects of what saving faith is, the more you'll get out of what Jesus says. That faith doesn't involve just understanding, although it does involve that, not just intellectual awareness, though it does require that, but it involves also believing that God's Word is true and resting on God's Word. So that comes out in this sermon as well. He comprehends it. And thirdly, he bears fruit. This is a result, if you will. This is the outcome of his hearing and comprehending. He bears fruit. It's it's the nature of his response to the word of God. So, first, let's talk about what the nature of this fruit is. What are we talking about in terms of fruit here? Uh, I think J. C. Ryle puts it very well. You remember he was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. He was a bishop in London and. um, Very, very good, profitable writing still today. And on this he says, the fruit here spoken of is the fruit of the Spirit. Repentance towards God. Faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness of life and character. Prayerfulness. Humility. Charity. Spiritual mindedness. These are the only satisfactory proofs that the seed of God's word is doing its proper work in our souls. Without such proofs, our religion is vain. However high our profession, in other words, our, our claims and the things we say we believe, it is no better than sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So that's the idea of the fruit, the fruit that shows that this word is God's word to me and it produces a transformation in my life and a life that reflects God's wisdom, His character, His person. So, um, I also want to make very clear though, that this note, this this fruit bearing, is a product of receiving the the seed. It's not the cause of receiving the seed. Obviously, the the seed doesn't bear fruit because the soil bore fruit. It bears fruit because it receives the seed. And my point being that saving faith is not bearing fruit. Saving faith does not consist of bearing fruit, but saving faith results in bearing fruit. We we commit a serious error if we go in either direction. If we confuse faith with works and say that, well, if faith isn't working, then it's not really faith. No, faith is not works. Faith is an empty hand receiving God's gift and God's word. But we also make a a grave error if we say that saving faith does not produce works. As if this could be good soil that receives the seed and bears no fruit. Well, then we wouldn't know that it was good soil. There'd be no sign that it's good soil. And so likewise, if somebody talks a great game about Jesus and claims to be, as I've I've heard said, a a first-class Christian, uh, but if the fruit isn't there, fruit such as we've just talked about, well then... Uh, There's no real evidence that the person's a Christian. You can teach a parakeet to say he's a Christian, and it doesn't make him one. So uh, it's not part of saving faith, but fruit is a sure result of saving faith. But having said that, what do you notice about this fruit? Jesus surely could have simply said, it receives the word, comprehends it, and bears much fruit. Couldn't he? Wouldn't that make a, a very important point all by itself? But what does he say? Some 30, some 60, some 100. And my wife said, you know, what, why didn't he say 30, 60, and 90? Because then it would be multiples of three, you know, which is an excellent point. And I don't know, obviously, but maybe the reason is to say that this 100 breaks, breaks that model and just says bunches and bunches, <laughs> you know, a lot, a whole lot, and just a... Uh, Way, a whole lot. Um, so, but at any rate, my point is though, 30, 60, and 100. So, what's Jesus saying? The degree of fruitfulness will vary. I have always found that very, very encouraging, you know, because I've got to say, I see myself in the 30 fold bracket on a really, really good day. And I've known Christians who are definitely in the 60 and 100 fold bracket. And you look at them, and if they're the measure of your reality as a Christian, well, you despair. But Jesus says some 30, some 60, some 100. But what's the point? It does bear fruit. And it bears a lot of fruit, and fruit that can't just be explained because, well, he was always a sweet kid, or she's really a dear person, and so you'd expect this kind of behavior. Now, this is behavior what you wouldn't expect, behavior that is a result of the seed of the Word of God, watered and given life by the Spirit of God. And so whether it is a whole lot or a little, there's fruit. But any fruit is a sign of life. And so I say it's very uh, comforting, I think. I at least find it. Maybe you're all 100 fruit people and you just think this is really nothing. But um, I find it very comforting that he gives it in different levels. That said, it also is, what would you say, exhortational. It also is motivating. Why? Well, because if I'm bearing 30, why not bear 60? It's the same seed. Do you follow me? If I'm bearing 60, well, then why not 100? See, it's not a mark of good Christian health that somebody is, and I can't say how many people I've talked to are very excited and and very energized to explain to me all the great reasons why they can't obey Jesus, why they can't serve Jesus, why they can't possibly be expected to do this or that that Jesus calls all his people to do. But when it comes to actually doing it, well, that, that strength is just not there. The strength is all given in explaining why I don't. Do you you with me? But see, we look at this and it should encourage us to say, well, I may be 30 today, but by God's grace, I would like to go to higher ground, As as the hymn says. I really do want to bear 60. And if I achieve 60, I really do want to bear 100 because what else am I here to do? Do I have another agenda besides to serve and glorify God? Well, then that's a problem. My agenda should be to serve and glorify God with everything I'm worth to the greatest degree that I possibly can. Now, what I can do isn't going to be what Charles Spurgeon did or the other greats, John Bunyan or all the other wonderful Johns, and Jonathan Edwards, John Brown of Haddington, and we could go on and on. I'm not them, and praise God for them, but I'm not them, but what I do want to do is be the most fruitful Dan Phillips I can be to the glory of God, and so should you, except for the Dan Phillips part. So, now let's look a closer look And simply ask the question, what makes it good soil? That's what we're going to look at closely here. What makes it good soil? Roman numeral two. A closer look. And here we're going to look first at the parable, but we will get into the larger teaching of Scripture, as I said, which tells us even more about these truths. So first, simply let's do a comparison. Letter A, a comparison among the soils. If you just write Paris in the blank there, you've got the word. A comparison among the soils. So what do all the soils have in common? Tell me. Tell me louder. All the soils have in common that seed is sown on them. So what that means is, and Jesus says this for all four soils, all these kinds of people do what? They all hear exactly right. So in this, they all have in common. So you you can't say, well, the problem is that nobody came and told them. Oh no, in all these cases, they heard the word of God. That is not the issue. The issue is not not hearing the word of God. And so here I do want to note that saving faith, therefore, obviously, is more than just hearing. Because the the first three soils do not represent a saved person. They represent a lost person. Only the fourth soil, And they all heard, so so hearing is, is not the same as saving faith. Having said that, even though saving faith is more than just hearing, it's not less than hearing. There won't be saving faith without the Word of God. The word of God must be there. It's as Paul says, how will they call on him of whom they've not heard and how will they hear without a preacher? Therefore, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to hear to having having saving faith, but it takes more than hearing. And I think that that is a danger in Texas and probably not just in Texas that somebody feels like, well, you know, there's so many churches and a lot of them aren't very good churches, but I go to a Bible teaching church. Well, praise the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. And because going to a Bible-teaching church, to use the tired example, no more makes you a fruitful Christian than standing in a garage all night makes you a car. Standing in a meadow makes you a cow. It's good you go to a Bible-teaching church, but actually it's very, very bad if you go and don't hear what's preached and don't receive what's taught. And that's the case of the first three soils. They, they do hear it, um, but they are not saved. So, like the first three, it hears the word of God. Like the middle two, the soil gets beneath the surface. It gets beneath the surface in the second and third soil. So, what sets it apart? Letter B, contrast. We've done comparison, now contrast. Well, unlike the first soil, the good soil is not what? It's not packed. It's not so hard that the seed won't penetrate it. Okay, so now you see how this game is played. You can answer me when I say, unlike the second soil, it wasn't parched. It wasn't parched. It wasn't so thin that it couldn't sink weeds down and survive the sun. And unlike the third soil, it wasn't pestilent. It didn't have the pest of weeds mixed in with the soil to choke out. And unlike all the soils, all the three soils, it bore fruit. None of the first three bears fruit. Only the fourth soil bears fruit. Yes, there's, act, there's no activity in the first. The birds simply peck it away. There's some activity in the second and third, but no fruit. Only fruit in the fourth. So that's the contrast. So now let's come, Let her see to a conclusion. To a conclusion. The good soil receives seed as they all did. So... This teaches us that while receiving the, 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 the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, is a work of the Holy Spirit, there are works of the Holy Spirit that are short of salvation. Every time somebody hears the Word of God, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. How can I say that? Because <laughs> what's the Word of God? Every, all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's given, 2 Peter 1 says, by the Holy Spirit, carrying these writers along so that God's Word is spoken. So God's words are the words of the Spirit of God. And every time somebody hears the Word of God, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But there is work of the Holy Spirit that comes short of salvation. God is working in a person's life but not working unto salvation in that person's life. So just seeing things going on doesn't mean a person is saved. It's, it's good. He's hearing the Word of God. He's coming to hear the Word of God. That's good. But that in itself doesn't mean salvation. Secondly, the good soil receives the seed deeply and without competition. So you see how that sets it apart from the first three? Unlike the first, it receives it. Unlike the second, it receives it deeply. Unlike the third, it receives it deeply and without competition. Now, to remind you what we talked about last week, that means that when somebody receives the Word of God, he doesn't add that to his worldview. He doesn't add that to his belief in his own unlimited potential and his belief that um, he has a lucky life and his belief that he's fundamentally good and his belief that most people can't be wrong and all these other things he's always believed. He doesn't just take the Word of God and put it there among the rest. What does that do? And his belief that real success is financial and it's real personal and on and on and on. He doesn't just add it to all those things he already believed because then he's just putting it in among the weeds and what's going to happen? Jesus says they'll just choke it out. There won't be any fruit. So he doesn't hear the Word of God and respond to it uh, that way. Um, Receives it deeply and without competition as the Word of God. The mark of the soil, finally, negatively, is unlike the others in that it, it bears, it, it, unlike the others in that it isn't hard, it isn't shallow, and it isn't riddled with other things equally. But positively, its mark is that it hears and comprehends the Word of God. That the Word of God comes in, the message is received, and it is received as the Word of God. Again, not just a really good idea, not helpful, not encouraging, not inspiring. You'll hear a hundred people say stuff like that and, and you'll want to think, oh, that person's a Christian. He says the Bible's inspiring to him. So are Hallmark cards, probably. So, so are the poems of Khalil Gibran, probably. So are so is Maya Angelou's poems and a hundred other things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Uh, no, it, it's not inspiring. It's not helpful. It's the word of God and it's more than inspiring and more helpful. It's the word of God. So, That's what we learn from the soil itself. Now let's take, um, having taken a closer look at the soils, we want to make sure that we understand this biblically and practically. Because obviously that's Jesus' intent. He tells the apostles, hear the parable of the soil. And in fact, in Mark 4, when they say, what does this even mean? He says, If you don't understand this, how can you understand all the other parables? So this is very important that we personally understand the impact of this parable. So let's take Roman numeral three, a personal look at it. We've taken a look. We've taken a closer look. Now let's take a personal look and ask the question first, what is my part? What is my part? And here we're going to get into some, some of those questions that aren't in the parable, but the Bible does answer them what is my part? So on the one hand, what is, remind me, what do these soils represent? They represent what? The heart. That's right. The heart of the hearers. So uh, letter A, what is Jesus's estimate of man's heart? Does he say we're all basically good? And if we just tap into our better angels, we'll all be fine? Is that what Jesus thinks of mankind? Or that we 're basically God inside, we 're all stardust and children of the infinite. Is that what, the way Jesus talked? Not as I recall. Matthew 15:19 tells us what he thinks of the human heart. Matthew 15:19, he will say, "For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, slanders. He does not put that all on society or systemic this, that, or the other thing, or being dropped on our heads as children. They all come out of our heart. And he uses a present tense verb suggesting that he's saying it's what characteristically comes out of the human heart. And this, if you've read the Bible, you know that this is God's mm, verdict. It's his diagnosis of our condition. You see it again and again in the Psalms. God looks down on us to see if there's any who understands, if there's any who seek God. And what do we read? They've all gone aside Together they become corrupt. This is God's estimate of our heart. And that's because of the fall. So you read in Genesis 3, we die. And in Genesis 6, God says, all of his thoughts are only evil all the day long. And that, that's, his, that's what he sees in our hearts. So this is the condition of our heart. We're all bad soil. <laughs> we're all bad soil. If, if, if the soil is the heart, well, we're all bad soil. You say, but there's one good soil. No, it should it should interest us to ask, uh, how does that happen? You say, well we have we exercise our free will to change. Okay, but wait a minute. <laughs> well where does the will reside? People talk about the will as if it's something that's floating out there that like, you know, we can talk to on a walkie talkie or something. But what is the will? It's just our heart making decisions. Ah, oh, and so what's the condition of our heart? Uh <laughs> Matthew fifteen, nineteen sinful, fallen, dead. So how do I decide to become a better person out of that? How do I dive into a a sewer and clean myself in it? But I can't. because it's me. And that is what the expression, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, was invented for. Your dead, God-hating heart is going to decide to love God now? Well, but that's the trouble. The heart doesn't do that. So what has to happen? Let her be, what must God do for us if we are to be saved? Now, I want you to understand when I say, must he do, I don't mean that he's obliged to do it. He is not. We must understand. He owes us nothing but judgment, owes us nothing but judgment. But if we are to be saved, look at the wording, if we are to be saved, then what must God do for us? And the answer is in the gospel, Matthew eleven twenty-five through 27. And you see both sides of it. You see both soils, really, in Matthew eleven twenty-five to 27. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Soil number one, soil number two, soil number three. This is, by the way, the chapter leading up to this one. This is the Jesus' response to all these cities not re- repenting. In other words, hearing the word of God, but not responding in repentance. And what does he say? You've hidden these things from them. That's why they didn't repent. And have revealed them to infants. And that's soil four. God is Lord of both. Verse 26, Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing to your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And that's the fourth soil. You see, boy, I don't understand that at all. Happily for you, the sermons on this are up on sermon audio, so I would encourage you to go back because we looked at this at some length. Then again, look at this chapter, the section in the middle between the parable and the explanation that we skipped over, uh, verse 10 of Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verses 10 through 12 and 16, what he says in between the, the, the parable and the explanation, they come up and say in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? But now notice closely what Jesus says in verse 11, to you it has been what? Given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The why are they soiled for? Because they made better decisions? Not what Jesus says. They did make better decisions, but why did they? (laughs) They had the same heart as everyone else. Why did they? But Jesus says, because to them it was given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And read on, verse 12, whoever has to him more shall be given. He'll have an abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. And now, closely note verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear unlike the first three soils now notice he is not saying you earned a blessing by seeing and hearing that's not what he's saying the blessing is not a reward for seeing and hearing what is it? it's the explanation for their seeing and hearing I know that you're blessed because you see I know that you're blessed because you hear it's a gift of God It's a blessing of God. It's the work of God. So, to say all that, the reason why we can have a new heart is because it's a work of God. It's the sovereign work of God. Taking away the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel 36 says. Causing us to be born again, as John chapter 3 says. So, it is a work of God... For us bad soils to become a good soil. The only reason why anyone is a good soil is because of the sovereign grace and gift and work of God. That's on the one hand. But number two, on the other hand, what is Jesus' word to us? So what does he tell us? Does he tell us, sit there, wait, and hope that God changes your heart? No, Matthew 11, back to where we just were, and the verses after what we just read, Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's three commands. Come, take, learn, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest to your soul. You say, but you just said only those who who you choose to reveal can come. He says, yes. And when I give it to them, I will tell them to come, take, and learn, and they will, because I've given them the ability to do that. God gives the ability and calls us to exercise it. Or right here in this parable, Matthew 13, verses 9 and 18, we we hear it twice in this section, and we read it, Matthew 13, 9, He who has ears, let him hear. And then again, verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. So what is the lesson very simply put as to how you can become a good soil. It is God who gives gives us new hearts. It's God who gives us ears to hear. Salvation, as Jonah two nine says, is of the Lord. And there's no except for or and or however. And as 1 Corinthians one thirty says, of Him you are in Christ Jesus. And verse after verse, it is the work of God, so that to Him alone will be the glory. First Corinthians 1.31, let him who boasts, boast what? In the Lord, plus nothing. So that is a work of God. However, he gives us ears and he commands us to hear. He gives us a new heart and he commands us to apply it to learning of him and thinking on him and pursuing him. So I'm going, to, I'm going to spell that out now. I want to talk about the how, but now letter B, let's talk about the what. What do I do now? So how a person becomes a, the good soil, it's by the sovereign work of God's grace. So what do I do now? Well, generally, Proverbs 4.23, I wonder if anyone has that memorized. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. From it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence. So he's given me a new heart, and he calls me to guard that heart, to guard it. The Hebrew literally says, above all guarding, guard your heart. (laughs) More than you guard anything, guard your heart. Why? Because your life comes out of that heart. What you do, what you are, it comes out of your heart. So guard your heart. So if the heart is my soil, then part of being and continuing to be good soil is guarding my heart. Or to get back to what we were saying a moment ago, part of what I will do to to want to move from being a thirty to a forty and a fifty and a sixty fold soil is I'll guard my heart, because as as we've said countless times, when a person's converted, that Satan doesn't just say, oh, "I lost that one. I was so sure I'd keep that one. Oh well, what'll I do instead?" No, he just shifts into phase B. (laughs) He's got all sorts of things to do to Christians. He doesn't give up till we're out of his hands, till we're off his turf. So there's a continual need for guarding of that soil. Uh, So secondly, then specifically, what it means and what I must do in response to being given a new heart, what I must do is embrace Christ fully. Embrace Christ. Christ fully, which is to say, I must embrace Him for all He is. I must embrace Him in all His offices. Let me say something general, then something specific, then something very specific. Generally, you may have heard the false teaching that that says that, well. Uh, to be saved you've just got to believe in Jesus as your savior you don't have to believe in him as your lord you can do that at some point down the road in your Christian life and I remember the first time I I heard that uh, as a young Christian I thought oh that's kind of cool and then I immediately thought but wait how does that work (laughs) how does that exactly work I tell Jesus he can bring his blood in but check his crown at the door you know, I'm just gonna accept the part of you that gets me into heaven, but the rest of you has to stay outside? How how does that work? And of course the the answer to that question is it doesn't work that way. You believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. You embrace all of who Jesus is as revealed in Scripture alone, or or, or we don't believe in Jesus. But to believe in Jesus is to believe all that Scripture says. Now, the way I said in your outline, embrace Christ, and I said that specifically. What is Christ, the equivalent of, from the Hebrew. Christ means Messiah. I didn't ask that very well, but Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. And both mean anointed. And what does anointed mean? Anointed was the ceremony inaugurating someone, installing someone in specific offices. And three offices stand out for the Messiah. And what I'm saying then is... That the answer to the three bad soils and making sure that my heart is a good soil is to embrace Christ in his three offices as Christ. So specifically letter A, it means to embrace him as prophet. Prophets were anointed with oil to symbolize the Holy Spirit's work in them. And Christ would be the prophet. Turn to Deuteronomy 18 if you would and see this is just the fifth book in your Bible. And look at Deuteronomy 18, this prophecy of Christ in this office. Verses 15, 18, and 19. Verse 15, Moses says, Yahweh your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. You shall listen to him. And then 18, and it shall be that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name. I'm sorry, uh, verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among them from among their brothers like you, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it will come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So listen, this prophet would be, the very words of God would be in his mouth. He would speak God's words and people who heard had the requirement of hearing them as God's word. And if somebody didn't, then God would require it. And again, I just want to underscore that to respond and, and to serve the judgment of God, it doesn't take an act of great blasphemy or, or of great evil. It simply takes not listening, not accepting God's Word as God's Word. That is a great, great spiritual crime. That's a great moral wrong. And so the prophet comes and he's speaking God's Word. And who is Jesus? In the beginning was the word and the word was with god jesus is the living word of god and jesus is this prophet uh, probably more than moses could everything moses could see and more he was god's word walking and talking and so We must embrace Jesus as God's anointed prophet. We must embrace him as the prophet. And when we hear, and and I want to show you how this particularly deals with the packed soil, the hard soil. When we hear and comprehend him as God's prophet, we're plowed. We're plowed. When we accept him as God's prophet, God's word breaks up that hard soil. God's word shatters that hard, proud, God-resistant soil. He exposes God's holiness to us. And we see our sinfulness and we're devastated and laid low. He, he, He lays bare our sin to us by his word and we're shattered. He announces God's judgment to us. Judgment that we see that we deserve and we quaver in fear. You see, Jesus as God's prophet shatters My proud, self-willed heart. So that the packed soil is no longer packed soil. It's been broken up. And that's the nature of the word he speaks as God's prophet. Jeremiah 23.29 Jeremiah 23.29 Is not my word like fire, says Yahweh, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. And when Jesus comes to me as God's prophet, his word shatters the hard soil of my heart like a rock. And so to continue and grow in my Christian life, I must continue to embrace him as God's prophet, continuing to speak to me the words of God, those mighty words which shatter hard rock. And so when I do, when I embrace Jesus as God's prophet, I become like the people God uh, 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 describes in Isaiah 63, verse 2b, sorry, Isaiah 66, verse 2b, he says, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. Every case of, that I can think of of a professed Christian who has gone terribly wrong, you see someone who has ceased to tremble at God's word. And he's decided that he can negotiate off parts of it, he can take parts of it seriously and parts of it not seriously which is as if to have a heart that's part hard and part not. But God, when we accept Christ as God's prophet, all of the words of God have equal impact upon us because they're all the words of God. And they shatter our hard soil, and they lay us low so that we tremble, tremble before God's word because of the, the massive authority of God in speaking to us. And we become like the wise man calls us to be. What's the beginning of knowledge? It's the fear of the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. And when we embrace Jesus as God's prophet, then we learn the fear of the Lord. And to keep a heart that is soft and tender before God's word, we need to continue in the fear of the Lord. And in, in continuing to embrace and see Jesus as the one who speaks to us, the mighty and powerful word of God. And so with hearts thus shattered and plowed by God's prophet, uh, the seed can sink in deep and bear much fruit. As a theology by Beacon Smalley says if we would receive Christ by the hand of faith, then that hand must be empty. And the prophet empties that hand. So we must receive him as God's prophet, but also, secondly, we must embrace Christ fully as priest. God's priest, let her be. Many verses of Scripture speak of this. One is Psalm 110. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 4. Quoted in the the letter to the Hebrews. Psalm 110. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. And then verse 4 says, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. If you want to see a really great opening of that, read the letter to the Hebrews, but I'll just touch on a few things briefly. We must accept and embrace Christ as God's anointed priest, and that answers to the shallow soil. What does the priest do? What what is the job of a priest? Well, his, his job is to take the laws of God and proclaim them and to apply them. And so he declares what is clean and what's unclean. He declares what is sinful and what is righteous because he has that law. And uniquely for him, he makes atonement. So the sinful person can be reconciled to God, can approach God, be forgiven his sins. Or so the the unclean person can be pronounced clean. That's the role of the priest. He makes atonement. And in the Old Testament, of course, it's bloody atonement uh, of an innocent victim. And so when we hear and comprehend Christ as God's priest, we're shattered. And we're left unable to have simply shallow soil With a rocky bottom. What what is what does Christ do like a priest? He affirms God's law to us. He affirms God's righteousness, his holiness, his standards, his purity. And in that proclamation, we are see ourselves as being guilty and lost and unclean because of what he does and what he says to us as God's priest. He also makes blood atonement for our sins. And only in his case, of course, it's not a not a, a ram or a goat or a bull. The atonement he makes is himself, he offers himself. But what does that teach us that he does that for his people? It teaches us that we are lost because it takes such an extreme sacrifice. It teaches us that there's nothing we can do. We're not told to to say 10 Hail Marys or 20 push-ups or whatever to pay off our sin. We're unable to pay off our sins. We already owe God everything. How do we get extra to pay Him off? And we've already gone into debt astronomically. So he comes in and by his atonement, he's saying you're helpless. By his atonement, he's saying you have nothing in yourself. You have not the ability to save yourself. You need me to save you. You need me to meet God's justice for you. Because if God's justice fell on you, you'd be lost. And so when he comes to me as God's priest, he he leaves me with no pretense of hypocrisy. I can't pretend to be something that I'm not, like a hypocrite does. I can't have a thin covering of soil like the second soil, but rock all the way down underneath. I can't do that because he takes that soil off and he shows what I really am. And that's the whole basis of his atonement. And when I trust in him for salvation, I'm saying I've got nothing. I'm saying that I've got, I'm a sinner. I'm saying that I have nothing in myself to redeem myself to God. I, I need him and him only. And there's just no room left for hypocrisy there. What am I going to pretend to be? When I've said with Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, my righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness is filthy rags. What room does that leave for hypocrisy? What am I going to pretend to be? Uh, but that's where we start with Jesus, and that doesn't ever change. And always the word of God there, the word of, of The high priest Jesus is there to lay me bare and naked. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the next verse says in all things are naked and vulnerable before him to whom we must give an account. Naked and vulnerable. There is... No place for pretense before the Word of God and before the priest of God, Jesus Christ. And so I can't be shallow soil. And I have no illusions that a, a thin icing of apparent piety is going to be good enough. That's, that's already done with. And I continue that way in that humility every moment of my Christian life knowing that the only reason I'm a Christian, the only reason I'm a child of God, the only reason I can look to God with anything but abject terror It's because Jesus bloody sacrifice for me. He laid down his life for me and he saved me. So Jesus as high priest shatters that bedrock and makes hypocrisy impossible and so I must seek him as a redeemed sinner and nothing ever other than a redeemed sinner who owes it all to Jesus. So we must embrace him fully as God's prophet. We must embrace him fully as God's Priest, and finally what's the third office of Messiah? King. Letter C. We must embrace him fully as God's king. Many verses, of course, but I pick Revelation one five and Revelation five twelve. That John says Revelation comes from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood the ruler of the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth are on top, and He's their ruler. He is King of kings. And indeed, we read that in chapter 5, verse 12, where we see, "...worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." And chapter 19 says that He has written on His thigh, "...King of kings and Lord of lords." And he's worthy. He doesn't just wear the title, but he is worthy. As the king, he's worthy to receive all. Think of this and think. remember Philippians 2. He existed in the form of God, yet he did not count that as a thing to grasp, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave and humbling himself to the death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee might bow and every tongue confess. And Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So he is king and he's worthy king. And when I embrace God as, as I'm sorry, embrace Jesus as God's anointed, all worthy king, I confess his absolute worth and his absolute authority. I confess that he alone is king of kings and lord and lords, and that in terms of authority or worth, nothing has anything on him. He is above all in worth. He is above all in authority. And so saying that, saying that he is the one and only king, where's the room for weeds? Where's the room for for competitors? How do I fit Jesus in among a bunch of other equal things that I cling to? I can't. He's king of kings, he's lord of lord, he's all-worthy, worthy to receive all riches and blessing and grace and power, and so I accept him that way, as, as my king. And when I, when I hear and comprehend him as king, then I'm weeded. <laughs> These weeds are plucked out, or they're round-upped one way or the other, or round up and plucked out. See, he calls me to turn from the world and its lies and its illusions to him. And he he calls me to make him my sole focus and my sole love with singleness of heart, he says. And so we become his people and he becomes our God. And you see, when he is that to us, that all worthy king, then there's no room for a divided heart. There's no room for a heart that has equal loyalty to a dozen different things and a dozen different philosophies. There's just room for Jesus. And so I hear the great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I say, amen, God, help me to do that. Help me to love Jesus that way. Help me to love you that way. And that's how I tend to my heart. And that's how I watch for weeds. And when I realize something's become too important to me, up it comes and out it goes. Because that soil is just for King Jesus. You see, He owns it. And I look to Him and I see my soul's desire in Him. And I make Him my focus. Focus of my heart and mind. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You've died to the earthly things, but your life is hid with Christ in God. Paul writes in Colossians 3. So this is what it means to be a good soil. It means I embrace him as prophet and his word shatters the hard soil of my heart. I embrace him as priest and he strips off the facade of false piety and false confidence and lays me bare and saves me by blood, blood atonement. I accept him as king and he commands all my love as my one soul Goal, So that as Matthew 6.33, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we see yet again that Jesus is the answer to all of our deepest needs. It's just always going to be Jesus. It's just always going to be Jesus. So let us guard our hearts by fixing them on the Lord Jesus Christ. By seeking him to soften our hearts. By gazing on him to... Break up the bedrock of our hypocrisy. And by bowing before him as our, our only and our sole Lord and King. And thus we'll have good hearts as Jesus defines it. And thus we can bear, so, uh, bear much fruit to the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word and how. Powerfully it's spoken to us, it has had much power, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will bring it home to power. There are surely some here who in the past have listened to the word of God and walked away unchanged, thought it was interesting, then gone right back to their own lives, or who hear it and try to add it into other things that they believe and, and find you just you can't do that. I pray that in the case of those that you will give them new hearts and lead them to yearn after you and see you as you really are to see Jesus Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords, the one priest who alone can atone for our sins and reconcile us to you. And for all of us who languish and and are weary and need of encouragement, help us to see the glory of Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, so that before him we can have hearts that are tender, that are absolutely without pretense, and that are singly fixed on him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.